2: Now, the WBBM Noon Business
3: Hour. It's 12.03 on New Year's Eve, December 31st, 2021, Friday afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. After cryptocurrency's big year, 2022 promises to be a wild and fascinating ride. We'll talk about uh, the year in cryptocurrency coming up, but right now, the economy's been on a roller coaster ride the past two years. Joining us with a recap and a preview of what's to come is David Jones, chairman of DMJ and advisors in denver colorado and author of the book understanding central banking denver i should say dave in denver thanks for joining us today hope you're staying safe with all those uh wildfires out there you know how would you assess the state of the economy in 2022 because there were some eye-popping numbers and yet uh there was a big sense of dissatisfaction uh by people experiencing the economy
4: well you're very correct in uh Talking about a mixed picture as we look ahead to 2022, um, I would emphasize that the good news coming out of 2021 were those holiday sales up 8.5%. Consumer spending is still very strong, so we're ending the year 2021 on a strong consumer note. But I would add some caution uh, for next year, uh, particularly from the Federal Reserve. Um, They've already announced that they're trying to cut back sharply on the amount of buying in the bond market to try to boost the economy. Uh, Probably by March of next year, the Fed will be ending that accommodation for the market, something that has helped the stock market greatly. The Fed's talking about maybe three rate hikes next year. Um, I think the bad news for the market might be that we could end up with six rate hikes next year. I think the Fed's fear is inflation. Um, I'm guessing the prevailing view among policymakers is that the economy can handle the latest strain of the virus, but not persistent and entrenched inflation.
3: Has the is the Fed though nimble enough to uh, to pivot to reflect uh, current economic realities? Let's say, for example, uh, you know there is a new variant of Omicron, or I should say, new, a new variant of COVID nineteen above and beyond Omicron uh, that could cause a serious economic disruption and uh, bring back some of those tools that were uh, brought out in 2020. Is the Fed able to change in a dime in such a fashion?
4: Well, they certainly haven't shown us that they can change in a dime, but I think they're going to have to. They're behind the curve in dealing with inflation. Remember Fed Chair Powell said that inflation was going to be transitory. We wouldn't have to really worry about it. Uh, Now it's becoming persistent and entrenched. You see it everywhere. Food, gasoline, general energy, heating the house, uh, housing costs, appliance costs. Um, And the danger of persistent and entrenched inflation is that we're going to see much higher wage increases necessary to bring people back to work uh, when they're reluctant to do so. And that's going to lead to higher price increases. So I think we're going to get a whole new round of inflation as we come into the new year. And I think that's going to force the Fed to show its hand and to become tougher in fighting inflation.
3: Well, thanks for joining us with a recap of uh, 2021 and setting up some of the big issues that we'll be following in 2022. David Jones, chairman of DMJ Advisors in Denver, Colorado, and author of the book Understanding Central Banking. Coming up, a look at cryptocurrencies as we head into the new year. Loaning useful information each weekday. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. 20- 2021 has been the cryptocurrency industry's biggest year ever. We welcome in Bill Uliveri, owner of Seneca Capital Management in Glenview, the website SenecaCapital.com. And for years, he has been our cryptocurrency go-to guy on the noon business hour. And Bill, over the course of your appearances over the last couple of years, since 2016, uh, we have watched cryptocurrency evolve uh, from something that was uh, very exotic, and we talked about it was Wild West Territory in terms of uh, what speculators were doing and where they thought the currency would go. But uh, to give you an idea of how it has been adopted, uh, Christmas Day, I was talking to my teenage nieces and nephews up in Wisconsin, and they were talking about giving and receiving Bitcoin for Christmas. So this is certainly something that has broken through uh, outside of the world of technology or high finance.
0: Oh, that's a fabulous, fabulous story. I love hearing that. And yes, you know, you know, back in early two thousands, when my my own kids were telling me about Apple stock and iPods, I, I thought they were full of guard. Like, what did they know? Dell was the company to go to, and and here I was wrong, and my kids were right. And now we're seeing the same the same story play out, where young young kids, teenagers, millennials, are really into cryptocurrency, and now we are now moving into the uh, you know the the old school industries you know investment banking you know visa mastercard paypal MicroStrategies. i mean as a, as a regular investment class cryptocurrency was up the average cryptocurrency was up 868 percent in 2021 we have coinbase which ipo'd uh in april of this year we have you know bitcoin up 60 percent ethereum up 409 percent year to date so this is insanely exciting it is And and it's just it's just not the cryptocurrencies, it's the businesses in the industries that are being built around it. I mean, Chicago, we need to pat ourselves on our tall shoulders because Athena Bitcoin, which was a company that's Chicago based, started by former CBOE traders. They created, uh, you know, a digital economy in the box, which is like an ATM machine, a point of sale machine in a wallet. And they were the company that installed all this equipment in El Salvador that accept Bitcoin as legal tender this year. So Chicago deserves a huge round of applause, mad props for doing this. And we are going to see stories like this going on and on and on. This is, but let's, you know what, when I was on the trading floor, you, you can't look back at your old trades, right? All the ones that you should have, could have, would have done. So let's not look back to 2016 and what we did or didn't do in cryptocurrency. But let's look forward to the opportunities that are before us because there are still just as many and as legion as what was in the rearview mirror.
3: As uh, big financial firms enter the cryptocurrency space and as the average civilian enters the cryptocurrency space, with so many people coming in, is this going to crowd out some of the uh, meme coins that uh, specialists were uh, having a lot of fun with?
0: No, no, no. This is because the meme coins have, um, you know, they've gamified, they've made cryptocurrency fun. And I don't don't really see that they're going to get crowded out. Um, you know, maybe a little bit, Rob, actually, but, you know, everybody's trying to guess on what the next new theme will be for 2022. Like last year, it could have been meme tokens, and it was a little bit of decentralized finance. But this year, the rumor is it's going to be the cryptocurrencies that are involved in gaming. Uh, gaming is really going is expected to be the hot topic this year. So. There will be the game stocks that take off, potentially. And then someone's going to create a meme game stock. <laughs> you know, maybe it'll be a dog holding the handle of a slot machine. Like, who knows what it's going to look like. Uh, but it's going to be fun. And that's what makes this this space just so darn interesting.
3: I mean, who who could uh, have imagined that the, uh, the humble Shiba Inu would have become <laughs> the uh, avatar of this uh, new age of currency?
0: Uh, it's so funny because it's the tokens you don't own are the ones that just go to the moon. So when I saw Shiba Ino, I'm like, oh, she got to be kidding me. This is the biggest joke in the world. And if I would have put $500 into that in the beginning of 2021, at the high point, I would have had about $900 million. <laughs> so, you know, who's to say who's the crazy one here? Well, you know, all you, we're trying to do.
3: <laughs> say, Bill, you know what they say, but you, you mentioned don't lament the trades you didn't make. So uh, <laughs> don't look yeah, back don't look on back. Don't look back. Bill Uliveri, owner of Cynical Capital Management in Glenview. Thank you for joining us today on the Noon Business Hour, talking about 2021, the year in cryptocurrency, and what to expect uh, starting tomorrow. Up next, energy companies plan to boost production in 2022. Discussing the news affecting your money. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. U.S. oil production is set to increase next year as the world economy comes back from the pandemic. Joining us with a preview is Patrick Dehan, senior petroleum analyst, at GasBuddy.com here in Chicago. Patrick, thank you for joining us today. I saw you plenty on uh, national news programs throughout the year, and when you're on TV a lot, that means gas prices are higher than normal. Isn't
2: that the case? (laughs) It's generally bad news that I get to deliver, but uh, maybe some good news today. Oil prices taking a little bit of a break, uh, but don't let that fool you. I think we have certainly some more upward potential in the year ahead I think really the, the government, the EIA, is the only uh, organization, I believe, that's forecasting lower gas prices next year with prices averaging under $3. But our take is certainly the opposite. We're expecting the national average could heat up in spring to maybe potentially that $4 mark.
3: America deciding to uh, go back to life as they knew it in 2019. Lots of road trips, lots of driving to the office, and that led to a lot of demand on the gasoline supply. But you also had an oil... Uh, exploration infrastructure that wasn't ready to meet that demand, because when the price of oil cratered in 2020, all of those drilling operations kind of stopped.
2: Yeah, exactly right. Uh, Oil producers really had no choice but to to Uh, stop the bleeding they shut down letting thousands of workers go and of course last year the biggest oil companies collectively uh, lost over 50 billion dollars so you don't get right back into the hot seat after a year like what we saw in 2020 and so oil companies uh, have been playing it a little bit cautiously OPEC as well now to their credit OPEC has increased production 400,000 barrels a month since July but I think Rob one of the bigger challenges too is that should demand continue to increase in the year ahead OPEC is going to start running low on spare capacity
3: is is it I mean maybe this is the the multi-billion dollar question will production stay ahead of demand
2: Well, I I think that's part of the reason why oil prices, you know, have consistently been higher closing out the year as we've gone through the year. Demand has gone up and there's a possibility, uh, you know, next year that we could see oil prices eclipse 80, 90 or even 100 dollars a barrel because of the concern that potentially supply can't keep up with demand. Uh, You know, I wouldn't say it would harken back to 2008, but we certainly could see an oil bubble forming. Now, a lot, of course, contingent on Omicron. But that's certainly a potential near your head.
3: Thanks for joining us. Patrick Dehan, Senior Petroleum Analyst, GasBuddy.com, based in Chicago. Still ahead, it's Entrepreneur Friday, learning how to take the plunge and start your own business in 2022. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Stocks are mixed on this final trading day of the year. Joining us with the latest in what's moving Wall Street is Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast Newsletter based in Hammond, Indiana. Also the book author of the book, Winning with the Dow's Losers. Chuck, thanks for joining us today. Uh, your assessment of uh, 2021, the year in financial markets. It was a good year.
5: I mean, that's kind of stating the obvious, but when you look at the returns across the board, and that's that's really important. You had broad-based strength across, you know, small cap, mid cap, large cap, uh, growth, value. They they all did pretty well, and those those are the types of things that generally benefit. Investor portfolios the most because again that broad based strength filters down to impact a lot of different investors. So it was a solid year, you know, and it's also I will point out it's one of those years where at the beginning of the year, I'm sure there were a, a host of analysts saying we couldn't possibly have a good year in 2021 because, you know, 2020, 2019 were pretty good, were, were pretty good years for the market overall. Um, and, and I would caution people to to not necessarily assume 2022 has to be bad because we've had three good years in a row. So, uh, it, but it's a it's it was a good year, and and hopefully we'll we'll probably not get quite as good a year in 2022. But I still think there's potential for upside in the market for 2022.
3: Thirteen years ago, in the teeth of the financial downturn as the Great Recession was setting in, people would share images of the cover of the book, Dow 36,000, published in 1999, and would talk about how this was just a a ridiculous prediction about the market perpetually going up. And yet, here we are, Dow 36,000, and that something like a major financial crisis uh, can't keep it down. No, I can't, you know, and again, sometimes people kind of forget kind of simple math. And and what
5: I mean by that is when you go back and you, since 1926, basically S&P 500 has gone up on average about 10% a year in terms of total return, which would be about 6 to 7% in, in in a in a price movement. So, you know, basically to have an an index double every 10 years means it has to go up about 7% per year. It's that kind of rule of 72. So, you know, I, I'm going to make a bold prediction that says, you know, in 10 years from now, the Dow is going to be about 72,000. And really, that's not all that bold when you look at the simple math and you look at, uh, you know, doubling every 10 years is about 7% a year. Uh, and that's really what went on when Jim Glassman wrote his book back then. But, you know, people look at the absolute number and just sit back and go, well, there's no way. Well, um, you know, it, there was a way. We're at 36,000. And I think, you know, over the next 10 years, you'll probably see a double on the Dow.
3: The big question going in the twenty twenty two is what the economy will look like when the Fed takes the training wheels off and starts uh, uh, implementing interest rates to fight inflation. um how are how will the markets react to that?
5: You know, there'll probably be some some taper tantrums that that we have seen. Hopefully they'll be fairly short-lived. Uh, I think at the end of the day, what generally will sustain the market uh, is is going to be corporate profits. I think while interest rates may creep higher, uh, I don't think they're going to get to a point. Where fixed income investments offer all that great a competition to to equities, so you know equities, I think, will still be the, the the best asset class. The question is, how how good will they be? And I think that's going to depend on how corporate earnings continue to to meet or beat expectations in 2022.
3: And Chuck, what is the Dow Theory telling you on this New Year's Eve?
5: Well, we're going into 2022 on a on a bull market trend according to the Dow Theory. The last major signal under the Dow Theory were was a confirmation with new highs in both the Dow Industrials and Dow Jones Transportation Average. We have not had a change in the, the indicator since then. We did get a new high in the, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and we're kind of waiting now on a, a new high on the Dow Jones Transportation Average to confirm that, and that would be a new high somewhere over the, the 17,000 level. So we're not too far away from that. and you know, that would be something investors should watch in terms of voting well for the market in 2022. Will the Dow Jones transportation average continue to keep pace with the Dow
3: industrials? Well, thanks for joining us this afternoon, Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast newsletter in Hammond, Indiana. Coming up next in Entrepreneur Friday, key advice on starting your own business. Investing 60 minutes each weekday toward planning for the future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour
2: continues.
3: When people think about how to become an entrepreneur, it's easy to get overwhelmed and unsure on how to even get started. Joining us now with some key tips is Matt Mategan, CEO of Blue World Asset Management here in Chicago. Check out Matt's blog at blueworldam.com. Matt, thanks for joining us today. If you see those commercials during football games for retirement planning services and financial planning services. It's always the handsome looking couple. They're retired. They're getting ready to start that dream business and take the plunge. And the reality of starting your own business is a lot different.
6: That's absolutely correct. And uh, every once in a while, I try to remind everybody that uh, I'm not a financial advisor. Uh, I'm a strategic business consultant and uh, with focus on on startup and turnaround. And in all these years, I have literally never met that handsome couple that retired and started a vineyard. But uh, people are always looking uh, for that opportunity. And I am always, the, the single most common question that I field is, What is the most important thing I need to know as a prospective entrepreneur? And the answer is unequivocal. It is you need to first learn how to understand the financial statements that will be produced by by your accounting firm. And the reason is, everybody's heard the statistic, 85% of new businesses fail within the first five years. I hate it when people quote that stat and then walk away because it doesn't help anybody. In order for that information to matter, we have to tell you why 85% of new businesses fail, and there are some very, very common mistakes that if you can avoid them, increases your opportunity for success. So going in order, the first thing we want to do is separate our industry from our business. 85% of carpentry businesses do fail within the first 5 years but it's not because the carpenter doesn't know how to build a deck it's because the carpenter lacks the separate skill set of managing their business and that requires knowledge of the financial statements there are 3 key steps that we teach for every uh, to be successful in any business regardless of the industry generate positive net income Turn net income into cash by collecting your receivables. Use that cash to strengthen the balance sheet by increasing assets and decreasing liabilities. If you can do those three things, I, I don't care if you're running a major manufacturing firm or a lemonade stand, you will be successful. And you simply can't do those things without understanding the financial statements. And, and frankly, that's where we come in.
3: When people come to you and they say they want to start their own business, what is the general area that seems to be the most popular as far as people going their own? Is it people, they want to start their own, as you mentioned, you know, a, a cabinet or a furniture company, something where you could, where you have a talent making something and then you want to turn that into a business or you're a cook or you're a brewer, Uh is it is it that kind of stuff where people work with their hands, or do they want to do something else?
6: No, it. Uh, you, the answer is kind of in your question. That was a really, really good slot that you covered. Uh, everything from everything from basic carpentry or cabinet making, all the way up to tech, and all of those things in between. People have developed skill sets over the course of their careers. And they get to a point where they want to be able to translate that skill set into a business of their own, uh, as opposed to receiving a paycheck for it, for example. So it, it covers the entire spectrum. And it's just incredibly exciting.
3: And lastly, uh, very quickly, you mentioned uh, you have to have management experience or at the very least management talent. Uh, Do people come into you, they they may not have been in management before, and then they discover they have a knack for it, or they discover they don't have a knack for it?
6: And the answer is both. Uh, For those that don't have a knack for it, that's where we emphasize uh, the consulting, the training. And for those who do have a knack for it, uh, we we work hard to enhance that so again covers the entire spectrum
3: matt matigan thank you so much for joining us this afternoon the ceo of blue world asset managers based in
2: chicago check out the
3: blog at blueworldam.com
2: because money matters this is the wbbm noon business hour
3: Consumer credit reporting agency Equifax now adding buy now pay later programs to people's credit history. Joining us with the latest is Bill Hardikoff, senior industry analyst at cardrates.com based in Birmingham, Alabama. Bill, thanks for joining us today. So if you are uh, financing a Peloton bike through a firm, you better make those payments, right?
1: Uh, You definitely should make those payments. Thank you for having me on, Rob. Uh, Buy now, pay later is extremely popular right now. And uh, so many consumers are looking at it. About one out of every five have used it here in the past couple weeks during the holidays. And I think like four out of every five of those are going to use it again. But there are some dangers with buy now, pay later. It looks so attractive because you get the product right away. It's very different than those. You know, uh, layaway plans that there used to be during our parents' generation where you had to make all the payments before you got the product. You get the product right away. But the problem is if you don't make those payments on time, you're going to be in big trouble.
3: Now, with some of these buy now, pay later programs, is this turning into an issue where people do get that uh I wouldn't say big ticket item but moderately ticket item and then uh, they're enjoying it happily and then just you know don't pay it back.
1: Right, Ed, like one out of every 3 people that are using it are reporting that they're missing a payment. So, uh, and so many people are using it because they're in some financial straits to begin with. It looks so attractive and it's so easy to use. And now it's so prevalent with places like Walmart and Amazon and Target offering it. Many people are using it because it's just an easy way to get the product right away. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, is that you don't have to have great credit to get it. Like you do with a credit card. So that's the danger. And so many people are using it. And overspending, which is going to create financial hardships for them in the future.
3: And uh, very quickly, if you do miss a payment or you have been missing payments, um, you know what is the immediate impact on your credit score?
1: Well, it's going to have a, a significant effect on your credit score if you miss some of these payments. Uh, and I think what Experian is doing is adding this to their credit score monitoring, so it can help consumers. That don't have a credit score, but consumers need to know that if they take, uh, you know, undertake a buy now, pay later plan and they miss a payment, that's going to drastically affect their credit score.
3: Well, thank you for joining us this afternoon. Bill Hardikoff, Senior Industry Analyst with CardRates.com, based in Birmingham, Alabama. If you missed any part of today's Noon Business Hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app.
2: Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way.